Hello, everyone. Welcome to this live special edition of Bible Discoveries, the weekend show. Remember, this is the show where we discuss big issues and questions as we're reading through the Bible this year, and we also aim to discuss and answer your questions as well. So this is special because it's live, obviously, but also I am joined by my family. As you can see, we've got my mom and dad, we've got Ryan, my older brother, and we have my husband, Matlock. So the camera's going to pan out so you can see their lovely faces if you're not just stuck here. But um so basically the format of the show today, we've got lovely Rachel who's in the chat moderating for me and she's going to be sending me your comments and your questions. So we're going to open up with just a, a chat about our uh, Bible reading this week, which of course was Psalm 147 and jumping excitingly enough into Proverbs. So we went into Proverbs chapter 20. So we have a couple questions that I'm going to kind of pose to everyone here. And then um, I would encourage you to pop your questions in the chat as well on YouTube. If you are here from the prayer meeting, I know there's normally a live prayer meeting that happens over on uh, Pastor Rod's channel. Uh, so if you're here from the prayer meeting, thank you so much for joining us. I, I'm really excited to have you. Uh, and, and I think that's it. I think I, that's all the housekeeping and the, and the announcements that I had to do, yeah, right? I think so. I think yeah. so. I think we're good. If I, if I missed anything, I'm sure it'll pop up. As we go. Okay, so hi everyone who's already in the chat. I am also looking at the chat so I can see your questions, I can see your comments, but Rachel's gonna help me filter them and grab them. Okay, but guys. All right. So Malik and I have been talking about the, the Psalms for a long time. Obviously, we have two on the Daily Show, so I, I, wanna, I wanna jump on Proverbs because we don't get to stay in Proverbs for a very long time, mm -hmm. but it's an interesting book. So the first question that I want to pose to you all today is, what is a proverb? It's the most basic question that we could go for. What is a proverb and how should we read the proverbs right. as, as a book? Hmm. What do you think? Uh, uh, can Anyone? I start? Can yeah, I go? Please, go for it. Go yeah. for it. Yeah. I'll go for it. All right. So <laughs> in the word itself, proverb meaning before, pro, and then verb meaning action. So proverb, before action. So before you act, these are things to consider and to meditate on it, and to contemplate, to cogitate. So it, long story short, it's wisdom literature aimed at making you meditate on what God has to say for your life, generally speaking. So I think the general precepts and principles that you apply. That's my quick answer, mm -hmm. if I could say it. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, I, I really like that uh, Proverbs actually opens up, uh, actually with kind of a description of what they are. Right. And I, I'd like to just read it if yeah, I could. Yeah, uh, It says, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Right. So that's, I mean, it really does set up the rest of the book. Yeah. That introduction. For sure. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? I, I, uh, I like the first seven <laughs> verses. I like your description and the first seven verses say it all. And uh, Proverbs is a great book. I mean, I, when I came to know the Lord, I was reading Proverbs. So right. I, I have always read it all my life. It's just an awesome book. By the way, they're not, they're not always um, 
a lot of people try to take the Proverbs and say, well, that's always true, that's always true. That's not the case. Proverbs are, they, they say things like a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh right. words stir up anger, Proverbs 15.1. They say things that are, are generally true and you aim for, but uh, that that doesn't mean that's a law. It's not a law, Yes. but it's a dictation yeah. of this mm -hmm. is what generally is true. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. don't you think that wisdom in general is like that? Like where, whether it's experiential wisdom that you've gone through something and now, and now you know, it's not going, you, you can't apply that wisdom in the exact same way to every scenario. You grow wiser as a person in the Lord as you live your life and as you read through the scriptures and, and, and as, as you begin to apply them to your lives, life, and then you begin to realize, okay, well, you know, when I approach a different situation now, I'm still gonna apply that same wisdom, but in a slightly different way to make it appropriate for this situation. Wisdom's mm. just like that. Yes. You know? Yeah. So that's really, that's getting into the how to read the Proverbs sort of question. Yes. yes. Uh, which is to, to not, you know, just to understand that these are principles, mm -hmm. yes. you know, general principles. Yeah, and in sure. the same way, when we read the Bible, you don't just want to pull out a verse. Right. And, yeah. and always stick to that verse. We, we have to keep it in context. Yes. And so with the Proverbs, it's wise to read the book of Proverbs in its entirety. Right. Because you will read the same ideas over and over, just perhaps in a different situation or in a different way. Mm -hmm. and, um, and when you're going through situations, um, and if you've read through the Proverbs several times, they'll come into your mind, mm -hmm. they'll right. come into your heart. And yeah. so and that's, yeah. helps. And one thing I know, noticed about the Proverbs is that it doesn't usually address in detail uh, some of the exceptions. Right. Uh, right. Because the Bible, <laughs> that's a good point. The Bible is a, is a whole book. We mm -hmm. can't just pull, like Mom, you were saying, you can't just pull passages, you can't just pull books alone. You have to read the Bible as a whole because when you do read the entire Bible and, and even in the uh, wisdom literature, you have the books of Job and Ecclesiastes, which really do flesh out uh, yes. some more of mm -hmm. these exceptions that happens. I mean, we see, we see with Job's friends, they were totally wrong about their judgments. And, and exactly. And in fact, you need exceptions to have wisdom. Mm -hmm. you can, yeah. If it's all just working out exactly the way you pan out, then it's okay. Well, yeah. What's the point of wisdom, really? Yeah. So it's like the fact that there are exceptions is proof that you need wisdom to be able to how to discern those, how to how to move forward. Absolutely. So yeah, I think you're totally spot on. I think like you were saying, Ron, to make it into like a law book, where like do this, and 100% of the time it's going to work out this way. It's not how life works. A dog doesn't always return to its vomit, but mm, most yeah. of the time it does. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like the the other verse, Proverbs 22:6, train children in the right way, and when they're old, they will not go astray. Mm -hmm. Right. Generally, I mean, that's a really good good principle and a yes. good rule, but. It's not always, it doesn't always happen. Yeah, right. you're right. And so we have, we have a will. We have exactly that's right. So if, if, we're, if we're kind of ignorant of this fact mm -hmm. in the Proverbs and we take that and we apply that incorrectly, mm -hmm. then we end up hurting people mm -hmm. more than we end up mm -hmm. helping because mm -hmm. we see, you know, a, a child who's going astray and we look to their Christian parents and go, yeah. well, you must have, you know, you failed. Right, you failed to train them up, but that's right. just not the case. Not the case, right? And so Good we just point. have to be careful. Yeah, I agree with you, hundred mm. percent. Good point. Yeah, I definitely. Have we beaten this down? I think so. <laughs> I think we're gonna move on. We're gonna yeah. move on to our next question. All right. Okay. So, um, how is it that Solomon says 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we're talking like Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And yet John in 1 John 4, verse 18 says, perfect love casts out fear. So how can the fear of God be required for wisdom? And yet love, we see love casting out fear later on in the Bible. Right. Hmm. What what do you guys think? I guess we're all just question? fools. <laughs> yeah, it's like wait, doesn't this isn't this contradictory in the Bible itself? Right. Like what what are these concepts? Maybe breaking down these concepts might help for us. Sure. Does anyone want to start? I think you. Sure. No. Me? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So, yeah. so it comes down to the question is so what is the fear of the Lord? And if I recall, I actually wrote it down. Uh, there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about what is the fear of the Lord exactly. And it's Proverbs 8, verses 18, uh, 8, verses 13. Let me get that up for you. And um, this verse specifically is actually harking back to ancient wisdom literature that Job was reading. It's so not Job, sorry, that Solomon was reading at this time in the book of Job. So let me get this for you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. And if you go back to Job, which once again was ancient literature at the time Solomon wrote that, uh, Job 28, verse 28, um, he says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So mm. it's interesting to think about that when we're talking about the fear of the Lord is to have wisdom or to gain knowledge, it starts with the hating evil. All right, it's this appeal that evil is what's corrupting you, which in a sense means that this is wisdom is good, mm -hmm. right? And wisdom is good, so it's godly wisdom, not just like an earthly kind of wisdom that he's referring to. So this uh, fear of the Lord begins, uh, is the hatred of evil because God is all good. God is goodness and truth unified. Yeah. So it has to, so it ties into there. What do you guys, anything else want well, to add? I totally agree with you. And just to add what you're saying too, yeah. when you look into the Hebrew word there for fear, the Hebrew word is actually yura, uh, and it's actually a lot broader in meaning than our English term, yes. fear. And, and in fact, I'm going to read a quote here from an author, and she says that our English word fear narrowly focuses on being afraid. To us, fear is the opposite of trust and is synonymous with worry, dread, or fright. But yura, fear, encompasses a much wider range of meanings, from negative, dread, and terror, to positive, worship, reverence, and from mild respect to strong ah yes mm -hmm. so there's a wider range there yes that, of meanings than just our english word and you know when you start to look into that where you realize that it in proverbs here it's talking about this strong positive sense and and the amplified translation of the bible actually uh, uh brings this out a little more and it's it, it quotes it, it translates it this way the reverent fear of the Lord, that is worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome, is the beginning and the preeminent part of knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference. It, yeah. It's a huge difference, yeah. Mm -hmm. So then knowing that when it says perfect love casts out fear, once you have that wisdom of who God is mm -hmm. and you understand his perfect love, then the human fear that we have is gone because we know that God is just and God is merciful and God extends his grace and in fact has given his son so that we can be reconciled to him. Right. So that love, knowing that love, knowing that God casts away 
the different kind of fear that we're talking about. We're talking about a human fear. Right, mm -hmm. and to add to this, because I think there's actually more breadth to it as well. Um, in the Septuagint, the word phobos or phobos is translated for both the fear of John for in First John 4 and also for the fear you have here. So it's the same kind of fear. And this idea too is that when Adam and Eve first ate of the Garden of Eden, right? It was to gain wisdom. And what's the first thing that happened once they realized that they shouldn't have done it? Well, they were afraid. And that, that fear was actually healthy yeah. because they realized that they did something wrong. That and they, they were, fallen. it was a, it was a yeah. sense of judgment. So there is a healthy sense of fear knowing that, look, if I'm doing wrong, if I don't hate evil, mm -hmm. right? And I start doing things wrong, like God will judge me. There should be that fear there. Yes. But if you think about it, what would fear look like before the fall? Well, I'd say it wouldn't exist. So what does that look like? Well, it's pure reverence. Mm -hmm. It's like whatever that, whatever that would be before the fall, before fear exists, there would just be that pure reverent, awestruck humility about who God yeah, is. Yeah, it's that acknowledgement of who God is and what that means for us. Exactly. Like we are not, it, it, it's definitely a humility that comes in, right? Where yes. you, all of a sudden there's a seriousness to life when you, when you acknowledge who God is and what his role is as creator, as the, the origin point of all that is good, of morality, and then you realize who we are underneath that and that we are sinful and that we are not aligned up with God anymore, all of a sudden you realize that what happens now and what you do and the choices that you make really matter. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so there's this seriousness that comes in and when you, when, you, when you look at life from that mindset and when you read Proverbs from that mindset, yeah. then you can actually right. learn. You can begin to apply. And right. that's, that's a healthy fear because there's so many people today who are just, you know, claiming to be Christians, but they're not, they're not repentant. They're not. That's right. Right. And so that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a problem. Fear is healthy. And I like how uh, Ray Comfort uh, talks about fear as being good. And he uses the illustration uh, of, you know, you're hanging out an airplane. Right. And you've got a parachute. Right. It's a healthy fear. You've got to put on the parachute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a healthy fear. Yeah. It's going yeah. to save your life. Right? right. So in the same way, you put on God, that He will save you, mm -hmm. right, right, from what what we all deserve, right, for our sins. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then and then and then to your point, Mom. Then with that perfect love, casting out fear, that God can give us assurance of salvation. Mm -hmm. That is something that is real. When we, when we are in the presence of God, clothed in, like mercifully clothed in mercifully. the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that recognition, then that that understanding that we are saved from the wrath of God. Right. And, and, and by being saved from the wrath of God, we get to experience the love of God. Yes. And there mm -hmm. is going to be, while it's not perfect right now, there is going to be oh, um, the fulfillment of our faith, right? Which right. is the resurrection from the dead. When God creates the new heavens and the new earth and we are in the presence of God, how amazing will that be? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then we'll get to experience that reverential awe and reverential fear, if you will. Yeah. In the right way. Yeah. No, and, and, <laughs> in the right, finally. <laughs> just to reiterate what Ryan was saying, like the, the importance of repentance, like the, what brings you to God. People say, don't do things out of fear. What's well, like, well, you repent because you realize that you're going to be judged, that like, there is yeah. an actual uh, reality beyond what we materially see. So it's like that fear is so healthy and important, but it's like it doesn't stop there. That's what you're getting at, right? There's yes. so much more. There's so much more to yeah. this. It's like the fear that the human fears that we have can be gone through the love of Jesus Christ. And yes. it's such a powerful thing. Even in that, I think it's 1 John 4, or maybe it's 1 John 5. 
we may know that we have assurance of, of salvation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Through Jesus Christ. Well, okay, and think about it even, like to bring it down to a really, a really simplistic example, think about our oldest son, Emerson. He used to be terrified of jumping into the swimming pool. This is a healthy fear. He doesn't know mm -hmm. how to swim, right? Right. This fear is keeping him alive. Um, but he began to jump into the swimming pool when you or I would stand in the swimming right. pool and say, it's okay, we'll catch you. Right. And knowing then yes. that he's not going to drown because there's someone there to catch him, right? right? Mm -hmm. So it's that the, the fear, fear can be very healthy and pain can be very yes. healthy to teach us what to be, yeah. what's bad and mm -hmm. what can hurt us. Right. Um, and, but then we, we all know, don't we, that, that love does cast out yeah. fear. And we yeah. can be comforted. I yeah. think that's so interesting too, because we often hear that faith versus fear, like they're complete opposites, mm -hmm. but it's like, hold on, God's working through our fears to bring us yeah. out of that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Sure. It's, it's us learning how to trust God more right. as our kids trust us. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to remember that the definition of fear, as you have highlighted it, Brian, um, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it for just a moment. You put a little bit of thought into this. The fear of God, the fear of God, the respect of God, the knowledge of who God is, is the beginning, not the end, but the beginning of wisdom. So when we understand that, we're not fearing the cars coming at us at 90 miles an hour, so we got to get out of the way. But we begin to realize that respect and honor to a holy God. There's no other religion anywhere that has holiness at its center like God. God is holy. So when we fear God, we understand that he is holy. Then we realize, okay, what that means is what he's saying is going to happen right. and is true. God never says anything that is not going to happen. So we need mm -hmm. to keep that in mind as and, well. Yeah, go and ahead. Thanks. And uh, to add to what you're saying there, but Jeff, what's interesting is we use these analogies like in the immediate moment, like a truck coming at us. We're gonna jump out of the way. Everson's not gonna jump in the water because it's he's afraid he can't swim. Those are like immediate moments, but when it applies to wisdom, we're talking about like this action you do now will affect you 20 years later. Yep. And it requires so much spiritual foresight to know, discern how people think, how the world thinks, to know that if these decisions you make now, this A plus B will equal C. And it's mm -hmm. like, so it's, it's a different kind of way of thinking. It's like, it's not, you know, an immediate reaction, which is how we understand fear exists, but it's propelling you out of that. It's interesting. And it's taking that wisdom yeah. and applying it, mm -hmm. right? right? That's yeah. something mm -hmm. that we have to do. We have to read it, yes, and get it in, but then we, have, we begin in that time to apply it and to see how the truth of God's word really does impact, and, and we can begin to use that. Um, in our lives. I don't know if I'm articulating yes, that, no, that yeah. properly, but, but that is something that we learn yes. not only about God and His Word, but about us mm -hmm. yeah. too, mm -hmm. and how to follow after God. And, and when we don't apply it, we're really missing out, aren't yes. we? Mm -hmm. We really yes. do miss out on how we are to live and to live better, better, yes. yeah. richer, yeah. fuller, yeah. Yeah. and to lead, right? Yeah. Not always to be that follower. Yeah. to actually lead mm -hmm. in our actions. And I think that's really important in today's world. Yes, yeah. for sure. One of the questions that yeah. people often ask is, how can the fear of God be good for you when he delivers us from fear? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power 
Second Timothy one through seven, and I think, I think that we need to understand that the proverbs which we're reading and we're going into teach us to honor God and listen to Him on a different level than typical fear mm -hmm. that we say because the translation is so hard in English of what the Bible's actually saying, right. and we need to pay attention to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and. I can't get over it yet, the repentance factor. Mm -hmm. You need that fear for repentance. And that yeah. repentance is a form of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom there. It is, and I think you can look to uh, people in the Bible even. I mean, uh, we, we see Isaiah, I think it's in chapter 6, where he he's, he's, has that vision, and he's deeply concerned about his sin. And what, is, what does the angel do? He touches his mouth with a burning coal, right. sears his lips, and he purges yes. his sin. Isaiah was disturbed about his sinful state, and, and God cleansed him of that. It's right. the same with us. We should be disturbed by our sins. Jesus, the refiner's right. fire, he purges us yes. from mm -hmm. our sins. But our attitude needs to be right. L likewise. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing, that God, you know, hate evil, hate yeah. perverse speech. And, it's, it's a, and you know, we're supposed to, supposed to love those who are engaged in that. And that's difficulty, mm -hmm. and that requires wisdom, because they're engaged in it, but they don't know what they're doing. Essentially, mm -hmm. they don't realize the path that that leads. They don't realize it leads to destruction, mm -hmm. and so it's one of those things that does require a lot of spiritual wisdom, like James says, it's the wisdom that comes from God, not the wisdom of this earth. That's spiritual, earthly, and demonic, unspiritual. Excuse me, but um, it's a really a powerful thing. We can talk about this for hours. I know <laughs> yeah. we really yeah, could. We, we really could. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have another question to ask us, but before I do, yeah. I just want to highlight some of the comments that are coming in. I've been reading them all, so hi, everyone. <laughs> Hello. Uh, some from, you know, Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Uh, she says, I try to watch every program. I'm 87, and sometimes I don't get everything, but I'm enjoying this very much. I'm so glad that you're here, Nancy. Thank you for that. Andrea says, so happy for your family and you. Thank you, Andrea. That's lovely. Uh, Doris says, such a great sharing of biblical truth. Uh, some missing from the church and social media today. Thank you, Hembrys and family. Thank you, Doris, for being here and for being faithful to God and being faithful to his word as well. Alicia, hi, Alicia. Uh, she says, I know you're all very busy, but I wish we could do this once a month, question mark. It's lovely. <laughs> Maybe we'll do this more often. We should just have to kind of see. I like it too. I think it's fun to do it live. It's a little bit different. It's exciting to be able to comment with you guys and, and, um, and answer May some I just live say questions on, on as well. May I just say on that comment that I, I strongly agree with that. <laughs> we knew month, you would, Dad. Once a month <laughs> to do it live because there's a lot of people on here. So we have and I'm noticing that, and that's good. I'm going to let everyone in on, on a secret. It's probably a not-so-secret secret, but we have we have kind of an unwritten rule, an unspoken rule here at Bible Discovery that I'm now going to speak. If you have a new idea for something, you don't tell my dad until you're really sure. Because he goes, yes, I want five episodes, and I want it tomorrow, or I want it yesterday. He's, he's the ultimate yes man. So, yes. <laughs> Just that, it's the truth. It's yeah. the truth. Very it's true. Awesome. We often find out about things live on the air, don't we? Yeah. 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 We're trying to rein that in, aren't we, Dad? Aren't That's we, Dad? the pioneering. I have no comment. That's the no, pioneering no. spirit. Yeah. Welcome no to my world for the last yes, 41 right? years. Mm -hmm. Okay, a couple more comments. MBZ or MBZ, if you're from America. <laughs> um, uh, he or she says, so thankful for this family. They keep me grounded in God's word. Thank you. And
said, hi, Georgina. Georgina says, thank you for all you do. You folks all do such a great job. Greetings from PA. Hey. Pennsylvania. Yeah, mm. Pennsylvania. It's a good state. Beautiful it's, it's Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of good memories there. Yes. Okay. Um, so I want to I, one more one more question here before we sure. start taking questions from you guys because I, I see I see some really good ones coming in. Uh, but another question about proverbs here, and this is a personal question for everyone who's here. Which proverbs have stuck with you guys personally? Uh, the most, you know, or, or they've really helped you in your walk with God? This mm. is such a Hembry question. Yeah. This is such a Hembry. This, <laughs> this question would only <laughs> exist here. Yes, that's right. No, that's good. I don't uh, know what that means, but I'll accept yeah, it. Yeah, uh, you guys, of course <laughs> you know. That's how it works. I'm curious about yeah, that. What, uh, does yeah. that <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know. I just thought that you guys would do. I'm going to, I'll go first. I think the one I already mentioned, uh, what it means to fear the Lord, to mm -hmm. hate evil, okay. perverse speech, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Proverbs eight, uh, verse thirteen. That for me is powerful because that is like, that gives you an insight, a lot of insight for how to live your life. Just everything. It's not just about, you know, um, you know, just people sin and there are sinners, but it's about truly loathing evil, and and, and understanding that the hate of evil. Not just, oh, it exists and I don't, I'm not going to participate in it. It's like, that's a slippery slope to participating in it. Mm -hmm. So it's like that cutoff point, knowing like, no, we are set to be holy. It is, there's so much packed in there. There's whole, sanctifications in there, justifications. It's, it's all, for me, that's a big line. So I'm going to use that verse. Mm -hmm. And I know you guys are going to have a lot more to say because, like I said, it's a Hembrick question. So. Well, listen, I totally agree. <laughs> curious about that. Yeah. 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 question. That's one of my favorite, too. I mean, the whole fear of the Lord thing. And that we, we read about that as we did right in Proverbs 1 yes. as well. And I, I like Proverbs chapter 1 and also Proverbs 31, the last chapter from beginning mm -hmm. to end. And that... Uh, Proverbs 31 talks about the wife of noble character. And I'll tell you, growing up as a young guy, I really did look to that passage, you know, when I was, you know, looking for a wife, right. uh, you know, and, you know, God, now God brought me a wife exactly like that. Awesome. Um, but that, that was one that really helped me. No, your line um, is, me too. <laughs> <laughs> right here, Locke. Very good, yes. <laughs> but yeah, the Bible has a really good evaluation on, on it's very practical, the Proverbs, like, yes. like we've been talking about. But yeah. uh, I also love Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Yeah. And I, I found in my own experience, this is true. This, you know, more often than not, a soft answer will turn away wrath. Yeah. You know, so those are good words to live by. Uh, also good words to live by, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Yeah. So, yeah, those are, those are some of mine. That's cool. I think for me, Pro I, I love them all, but I think Proverbs 3 is the one that I quote the most, yeah. that I think about the most. And when you and I got married, Rod, our parents each gave us verses and the one that my mom and dad gave to us was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Mm -hmm. But I also like to tack on verse 7, and it's very familiar. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And then verse 7 goes farther. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
fear the Lord, and this goes along with what you were saying, Matlock, uh, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Verse 8, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And that has been something that I have always tried to apply. I'm not the most patient of people. I like to, to jump at things. And so by stopping and acknowledging God, knowing that he knows my future, he knows what's, what's coming up, and I don't, I have had to learn the hard way many times um, to put my life in order. And so this proverb um, has been very effective to me and also when people come to ask me questions about what they should do. Uh, what, what, what decisions should I, should I take, Janice? Here's what, here's what I'm being offered. And it's, it's so wonderful to be able to direct people and to just join in prayer with them and acknowledge God um, and to trust in his ways um, and that he will direct our paths. Another one, uh, Ryan, same with me, a soft answer turns away wrath mm -hmm. because sometimes I can be very quick with my, with my responses and so that's been a, a very important one for me that I'm still learning. And also Proverbs 18.10 is one of my favorites. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it mm -hmm. and are safe. Mm -hmm. That is one that I, um, I love and certainly have seen that in my own life. Yeah. So I'll tell you, it's, you're an amazing woman. You really are. And uh, it's really good. I, Corey, I don't know whether you have a verse that's your favorite one i can do you do you want to go, go to, okay you go first oh, i'll go I last I, I i i have trouble committing to favorites so <laughs> but i i really uh, proverbs 3 5 6 and 7 has really impacted my life as well like very much so i've held on to that a lot um <clears throat> although i really i really also have there's been such a, a check in my life and in my heart over Proverbs 1, verses um, 20 to 23, which is, it says, Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On the top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. And here's her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. Mm. And it's just the, this idea that God is so willing to teach us mm -hmm. and to, to, to be with us and to give us wisdom, but it requires repentance. Mm. There's that repentant heart yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. It requires repentance at the rebuke of wisdom and, and, and realizing that our way isn't the best, even though it feels the best. It feels the best to us, right? Mm. There's another proverb that I'm going to quote, I'm going to paraphrase, and I don't remember which one it is, but there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the yes. end, it leads to death. Mm -hmm. So it's that idea that we all have that, we all think we know best, and then you really don't. <laughs> you, you need, you, repentance is the way. Repentance is the way when you think you know better. And this applies in so many different, it, at least for me, it applies in so many different situations because we, we are required to kind of pass judgment in our own minds over our own actions and actions of others. And it can be really easy to apply your own system of judgment onto things rather than God's system of judgments onto things. And when we do that, we always get it wrong. Uh, so, yeah, 
I would say these verses uh, have been also a bulwark for me, somewhere where I can go to, mm. to humble myself and remember to repent, and that that repentance leads to God's wisdom. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's Jesus' first recorded words in mm -hmm. his public ministry was what? Repent. repent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mike. I have all of the Proverbs are my favorite. <laughs> you <laughs> also by the way, have that's, a commitment to a Proverbs. By the way, that's favorite. a very Hembry answer. Yeah, yeah. Another, yes. another Hembry answer is I have 66 favorite books of the Bible. <laughs> uh, they're all my favorite. But, you know, I, if, if I were to say so, the, the verse that you mentioned, Janice, hangs on our wall mm -hmm. when you come in. And your parents gave that to us. And my father gave us Isaiah 58, 10 through 13. It's very important. But... The, the words that really affect me in Proverbs, it really relates to my whole life, is the words of Agar. And this is Proverbs 30. Um, it's really good. It, you know, Solomon did not write all the Proverbs. But Agar is a great guy, and he says, you know, I'm a stupid man. And, you know, I, I understand what he's saying. But in verse 3 or 5, he says, every word of God is flawless. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. Some, this, some of my favorite words. Mm -hmm. Because if we hide in the Lord whenever we're going through whatever it is we're going through and we trust in God, and don't add to his words, because if ever there has been a time to add to his word, it has been now. In the society in which we live right now, people are adding to the word of God. And you saw on Jeopardy the other night they had the wrong words. They changed a word and on the scripture. And a lot of people got ticked off and they misquoted the Bible. And that's typical, misquoting the Bible, adding to it. And so this is the way, <coughs> what we remember. The words of God are flawless, and is it, he's a shield to those mm. who take refuge in him. That's important. And, and I love the verses just before that. I mean, they're amazing. He says, I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and the name of his son? Mm -hmm. Tell me if you know. But that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament, right here in Proverbs chapter 30. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agar. What Amazing. is his name and the name of his son? Clearly it's God, but who is his son's name? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The yeah. righteous run to it. And that's it. Very good. All right, go. you guys, are you ready to take some viewer questions? <laughs> so we are not limiting viewer questions to just Proverbs. We are jumping all over. All so right. get ready for mm. some rapid fire questions. All right. Are you guys ready? Have you, have you limbered up? Have you stretched? Have you, no? No. No. Okay, no, yeah, good. No, well, yeah. we might pull some muscles, but we're going <laughs> to try our best. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to take these in the order that I have been sent them. So Michael, hi, Michael. He asks, I have been very curious about the scripture, all of Israel will be saved. Is this possible to explain? So this is coming from Romans 11, verse 26, I believe. Let me see, let me see. Yes. Okay, so uh, 
Paul has been talking about in Romans 10 and 11, um, who the true Israel is. Uh, he's in Rome at the time, just for a little bit of context. So Paul is writing to Rome that he hasn't visited yet, but he's kind of dealing with some of the issues that he's heard. And there is a really tense Gentile to Jew relationship in Rome. And so he's working through that in Romans. Um, and so in 10 and 11, he's been talking about um, uh, who should be seen as the true Israel, uh, also talking about the remnant of Israel in Romans chapter 11. And then when we get to 25, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And verse 27, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Uh, yeah, I'll stop there. We could keep going because we can read the entire chapter. But does anyone, I know I'm putting you all on the spot here. Does anyone want to take a stab at that? I think, I? I think you should go. Uh, you should go or you should go. These two guys over here can go. Yeah, I just go throw us under the bus. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a conversation. I, I so we, but you should we go. Can oh, we can pick it up. You okay. know, we, we, can, we can pick it up and all pass right, so it around. If we think about all of Israel in terms of all of history, right? There's, mm -hmm. all, of his, there's all of Israel at the time Christ returns, mm -hmm. and there's all of his, Israel throughout all of history. Are there Israelites who did abominable evils, never mm -hmm. repented, and by Christian standards would be, we would not say, I know for sure they're going to hell, that's God's call. But we would say basically that these guys have all the, the things that Paul talks about, that's, you know, if you're committing these sins, basically there's no kingdom of heaven for you on a regular basis. And I think there's evidence that there are huge idolaters in Israel's history. Yep. So I think when it says all of Israel, it's not referring to all, 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 like throughout all of, all of history. Like every single individual uh, exactly. descendant, uh, physical descendant of Abraham. That's exactly right. I think it's referring to Israel in general as a whole. Like Israel will be saved through this. It obviously requires, there's still repentance. It's not like, oh, I'm genetically related to Israel, therefore I'm saved. Mm -hmm. and, and if there's no repentance at all and there's no care for God and you're an atheist, but because you have the genome factor, therefore you're in. It's like, that doesn't really make much sense. So that would be my take, is that that's really referring to all of faithful Israel. And Paul even says that. I'm trying yeah. to find it in Romans 8, or I think it's Romans 9, one of the two, where he says, no, all of, not all of Israel belongs to Israel. Yeah. In other words, it's not that just it's Israel, you know, everyone who's in Israel is therefore an Israelite. They, they have to be faithful and following the law within itself. And people fall from that. Um, so... It, in long story short, it's, I don't think it's referring to, like I said, all, 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 all. I think it's referring to the general, all of Israel will be saved in general. Uh, and, you know, I will leave that, once again, it is a mystery. I'll leave that to mostly yeah. to God to be like, you know, to work out the fine details because I'm not in charge of salvation. Thank yeah. God for that. And, well, and what we do know is Paul teaches in Romans 10 that it's it's even the Israelites that were saved, the, the, the physical Israelites that were saved in the Old Testament weren't saved because of their adherence to the law. It was their adherence to the law in faithfulness, in yes. trust to God. And, and we remember when we go back and we look at, for example, like the, the, the stereotypical, I get not stereotypical, but the typical prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, you look at them and they accuse most of the people of Judah, certainly Israel in, in um, 
Isaiah's day, but Israel and Judah, that they're offering the sacrifices in vain. They're fasting in vain because they're not doing it in spirit and in truth. They're actually breaking the covenant on one side of their lives. And on the other side of their lives, they're still offering sacrifices and fulfilling the Mosaic law in that way. So, um, you know, Paul in Romans 10, when you go back and you read that, he's talking, he's talking about how salvation has always been through faith in God, through trust in God. Um, there's always been a truth and a spirit connection with, with the actions that you do. Um, so in that way, when Paul gets to Romans chapter 11, that's why he can speak of a remnant of Israel, right? right. That's why he can speak of us as a remnant. We know that that not all of Israel and Judah came back from the Babylonian exile, right? There was a remnant that came mm -hmm. back. We know that not all of Israel in the time period of Elijah and Elisha were saved. They were not following God. But what does God say to Elijah when he runs away and he says, God, I'm the only one. I am the only one. Everyone else is a bunch of Baal worshipers. And God says, no, there's a remnant. There's, there's I think it's 7,000 7, who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So God sees and God knows. So um, we know that there is a remnant here and yeah, so I think, I, I, I do think it is a mystery. I mean, Paul says it's a mystery as yes. well, but we know for sure that salvation has to be through faith in God. Right. It has mm -hmm. to be. And, it's not just on the basis of your, your heritage. Yes. And even Jesus says like, you know, our wrath, my wrath is going to be poured out on this generation yeah. when he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he says, beware not to commit, you know, uh, the unforgivable sin, which is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees as they're in the experts of the law at that time. So I think that there's precedent. And now he says this generation doesn't mean all of Israel. It's like this specific generation who's going to crucify me, basically, and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Like, there's a special judgment for you. Um, and, he, and he even says Nineveh will have it easier. We know how evil the Ninevites were, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it's hard to make a case to say all of Israel throughout history. It's really, it would be really difficult to make that case without accepting universal salvation. Yeah. Without, I think that's, that's what that would lead to. Um, at the same time, I think you could make a case that all of Israel at the time of Christ's return. Yeah. Because in Daniel, yeah. which you Maybe might even- make an argue for that for Yeah, sure. because Daniel talks about, they'll see um, mm -hmm. Christ returning and they'll mourn. And they're that's actually- and that's repentant. That's, that's Zechariah here. And that's exactly Go what ahead. I was gonna bring up. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of my understanding of it. And, and my understanding is limited. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about the future here, right. I believe. Um, but yeah, what he, the passage he was referring to was in Zechariah chapter 12, and it says, beginning in verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to talk about the national salvation of Israel. So, right. I, that's that's my understanding of it is when right. Christ returns, they will see him right. and realize repent. Yeah. you are the Messiah, we yeah. repent. Right. And that will be, all of Israel will be saved. At that I point. think that makes a lot of sense of are, the scriptures. Mm -hmm. A lot of sense. Blessed, blessed are those who don't see yet still believe. Mm -hmm. And yet they see and then they believe. So it's kind of like a Thomas thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that that very makes interesting. sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very, Janice? very interesting. Nope. Are, we, are we good to I move on? Good. You the the only thing I would add to sure. that, I, I agree with all of you. Um, Paul is talking to the church at Rome. Mm -hmm. uh, the Roman Empire was a very violent and uh, decadent empire. Um, it was in, in, the, in the midst of all kinds of things. And he's talking to the church. 
which is why in Romans 12, the next chapter over, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. They were having sacrifices of animals that were killing them. God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice so that mm -hmm. you may know the will of God. Paul was talking to them and he's explaining to them what's going to happen. The setting is end of time, which is really important. That's where Paul's alluding to because he's talking about the people of Israel. He starts by saying, did God reject his people? And he's talking about God did not reject his people. Now, my announcement is I'm Israeli spiritually, not you're, genetically. You're grafted in. Exactly. Yeah. But spiritually. So I'm part of Israel that will be saved. And I think what you said, Matlock, is true. And what you said, Brian, is true. When they see him, Jesus Christ, returning in the clouds, they will know who it is because they'll see that they pierced him. There's a reason for mm -hmm. the scars. God doesn't need the scars, but he kept them. There's a mm -hmm. reason. And they will see him. They will understand that he's not an imposter, that he's real. And when they understand that, they will repent. And by repenting, they'll say, Father, forgive me. I did not and know. And the key there to add to you is that they don't have a full hardening. They have a partial hardening. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So sure. that's what we need to remember. That's all, right. all I would add. Okay. We're going to move on to the next right. question. John K. asks, in the creation story of Genesis, is this the recounting of the creation of our natural world or were heaven and the angels also created in this time? If so, what day would that fall on? Like the creation of the spiritual heavenly. realm. The, right. hev the heavens in terms of the like spiritual right. realm, not mm -hmm. heavens in terms um, of the sky. Okay, so I'll just try them real quick. Sure. The only, I don't think we have anything hard, concrete in Genesis, but in Job it does say that the angels were singing praises before the foundations of the earth or whatever. Yeah. Um, now, or at the foundations, however that works. You can, there's a couple of ways of kind of to think about this because you could look at the foundations of the earth being um, before the earth was formed, or you could look at this as, you know, before the earth was completed in its final form, you know, the creation of man. Um, so there's different ways to kind of view that. I don't think it tells us when. Some people have deduced that when it talks about the stars also, because that refers to governance, the celestial beings and stuff like that. It's a symbol. The stars are a symbol for angelic beings. Right. So some people, some speculate, speculate that it's possible that it could have been on the day four or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. At the same time, um, I don't think that we have, unless anyone else knows other, concrete evidence to know for sure when the spiritual world was formed. Um, I think it, there's evidence that Eden was a, a spiritual world unified with the physical world, mm -hmm. and that there was that was God's temple. I think there's so much evidence for that. So it has to be either made simultaneously or before, and those that's my yeah consensus. That's yeah. my thought. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't have uh, anything to add. I, I yeah. think that's you. You hit it right on the head. All right. I would simply read the first verse of. Genesis and say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, keep in mind that there were right. three heavens that the Hebrews thought about. Yeah. The heavens where the birds are flying in the atmosphere, the heavens above the atmosphere where the moon is and all of that, and the third heaven, which is the spiritual heaven. But this is a reference to the heavens of the space, of, of uh, stars and moon and all that. 
and the atmosphere was being developed at that time. There's no indication here that the spiritual realm is included in this. Yeah. And we don't know why, but a lot of people would speculate and say this and say that. And I, I, don't, I don't personally, I don't teach that. I teach what the Bible says and that's it. Because adding to the Word of God, yeah. back to Proverbs 30, adding to the Word of God is the problem. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to add to the Word of God. We have to right. teach yeah. the Word of God. Stick to what, we, what it says. Right. Yeah. What's important there, too, is that, for instance, it never says that Satan is the serpent of Genesis. Right? We know that comes later. Which is really interesting. So it never says, oh, this, but all the language alludes to the fact that this is a divine being. Right? Trying to trick them. Like, that's the whole concept. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the Israelites you know, were just naturalists. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we like this idea and adopted it. Of course not. So it's like the idea has always been like, okay, there's a spiritual world happening here, but it's written, uh, written in Genesis is written in such a way, Genesis one to three, that it's natural. It's talking about the creation of the physical things. Then you have to ask yourself, you to ask yeah. yourself okay, where are the spiritual things? Because in their context of time of Moses, they know they believe in the spiritual world. Yeah. So it's not like, do you see what I'm saying here? So it's like, so now you, what do you have to do? Well, you got to dig deeper. You got to what is happening here? That's not just an ordinary serpent. Then you find out later on that serpent, uh, tannin, and all right, nah, nahash, uh, all these different words these for serpent. Hebrew words, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I should thank you. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, all these different <laughs> words are related to each other. Dragons and serpents are related uh, to each other intimately. So then you start realizing, okay, Genesis was compiled by Moses at the same time as Exodus and different things. There's something else happening here. And I think it's really interesting that the, that the spiritual world isn't recorded in Genesis. Uh, but it's hidden. It's been veiled. And I think that's actually painting more of a picture for what maybe Adam and Eve were experiencing. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, because Adam was natural, was created first, then the spiritual with Christ. But I don't know. I'm just speculating here. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just saw John Kay's comment pop up again. He says, thank you for answering my question. I love this live format so much. Thank you for answering the question, for asking the question, John, and for being here with us. Mm -hmm. I, I love having love having you all here with us. It, it It's really fun and interactive. It's exciting. Okay. Next question, guys. This one's from Jackie. She says, I have a question. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> Is there such a thing as untimely death? Some Christians say, when it's your time, it's your time. Is there such a thing hmm. as an untimely death? Um, doesn't God know even when the sparrows die? He does, but I think so I think the issue is more like, does God, so we, 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 everyone knows the famous passage, it's appointed once for a man to die in yes. face judgment. But does that mean you, you die once? And then you face judgment, or does it mean God has appointed a day and a time and a moment for you to die? So, in other words, then oh. when you when you expand this question right. out, is murder actually murder, or is it just murderers bringing you to your appointed I time see. to die? Mm. Is abortion actually murder, or is it just these mothers bringing? This is terrible. You, this is right. a terrible you road to go down. But I'm just opening up. If there was no murderer, question. you would have died as a heart attack. But because yeah. there's a murderer, so this right. is kind of like yeah. is is right. death this this essentially that, force that's coming yeah. you know what I'm that saying? is a predestination versus free will question yeah. that is so I'm big i'm trying to like bust it open yes yeah, so that's big um i like this question jackie Thank right because it comes down to god's what's predestined versus what's foreknowledge mm -hmm. and it comes down to that, that famous arminian mm -hmm. calvinistic right do we have free will or not that, that's right and how deep do you want is it libertarian is it compatibilistic right I is it all you, determined yeah. 
Um, it's very, to me, honestly, I go down to philosophy. But as you can see exactly where I'm going. And I'm like, and we I don't so know if that's helpful. We are so opposite in yeah. so many ways. I know. I'm like, I don't know if that's helpful. So, um, uh, so look, this, here's my quick thought on it. Somehow, somehow, mysteriously, God is sovereign above all things and knows all things. And somehow we have free will. Yeah. So it, and I think that mystery, the mystery in there, the fact that we can't figure that out is proof of free will. Yes. It's, if, if it was all tied in, I don't think, I think we'd be able, everything would be self-contained to the point where there wouldn't be any, everything would be answered. But because there's, there's, an act, there's no answer to the question, it's kind of like a proof that something's veiled that we can't access. Mm -hmm. But that's my... Like, look, we can make bad that's decisions. That's a direct answer, right. We mm -hmm. can make bad decisions. Right. We can make evil decisions. Was it a good decision? Classic. Was right. it a... Cl but lower stakes, okay, from murder. I'm going to take it a little bit <laughs> okay, lower stakes. Right. Okay, first, just to con conceptually think about this. Was it a good idea for Abraham and Sarah to decide not to wait for God's promise of Isaac, but instead to give Hagar to Abraham so that Ishmael was born? No, this was not a good idea. Right. We see the outcome of it. We see it in the scripture. The intimation is, no, this was not a good decision, right? Right. But what does God do? He saves Hagar's life. He saves Ishmael's life and gives them a chance. He makes Ishmael a great nation regardless, right? So we can still sin. We can still do terrible things and God allows that but he still weaves it and works it into his yeah. overall overarching plan. And I know that you can argue, okay, well, Abraham was in, he was special because he was in God's plan of redemption for the world. But this plan of redemption for the world and how God orchestrates it shows us who God is and what his character is and how he works and how he moves. Right. So the way I would take this question the way I would kind of want to steer towards answering it, and I really want to hear from you guys too, is this, we, I believe that we do have free will. So I believe that a murderer can kill someone and that is not ordained by God. That 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 is a well, sin God, right. that they are choosing to do. Mm -hmm. Same with abortion. It is a sin that the mother or the father and the doctor and everyone involved is, they are ending a, a human life, they are murdering. And at the same time, that does not affect the concept that God is still sovereign and he, he still works because life and death are his domain. This isn't all there is. I, so it's still appointed once for a man to die. Like yes, you, I, you're not going to murder someone and then they're going to come back to life outside of God's plan. Right. You can go mm -hmm. down the hole. Could God stop the murder? Could God bring them miraculous? Yes. But he also allows us... Yes, but. I agree with you. No, sorry. I'm just yeah, like, I, like, so, like, I, yeah. No, I, no, you're doing a perfect job. I actually agree with you. I, I, I yeah. lean that direction. Yes. Um, I think the difficulty uh, that some people might have is when we think about like life, birth, and death, it's a, it's a bookend. So we're talking about a closed system and God's inherently outside that system, right? Um, when we think about death, oh, it's, it's, everything happens in these times. Well, eternal life is now. It begins now and it goes always. There's an afterlife. In other words, death is not an actual end. It's just a transition. And if you look at, and we, we, we often think about things in those terms, in terms of salvation, but how God operates in the new heavens, new earth, upon when everyone's resurrected, how he's going to handle people who are to say who were killed untimely. Mm -hmm. I think that that is the question. 
because is God going to be like, like knowing their hearts, knowing that what they would have done, judge them accordingly, um, that they didn't repent and they didn't. And that's a sign for us. Like we need to repent now. Like all these mm-hmm. things are telling us repent now, repent now, repent now. Um, I think that, uh, it's, I, I, like I said, I agree with this idea that you can, uh, murder someone against because a sin is going mm. violating the purposes of God, yeah. Yeah. not just yeah. evil. And listen, yeah. listen, that, going right along with that, yeah. we just in Genesis three, we just read about the fall of mm. man. What's the next chapter? Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. Right. Cain murders his brother. Yeah, mm-hmm. and God confronts him. Yes, he confronts yeah. him and he says, "What have you done? Your brother's blood cries to me." Right. Yeah. That's such he, a good plan. Be, that's such a good thing to bring up because. Mm-hmm. God, even before Cain murders him, God says to Cain, look, sin is crouching at your door. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and, and you have to overcome it here. Yeah. But Cain doesn't. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So God gives him that choice. Yeah. That he is, could have stopped it. That is very, very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right about that. And, and I mean, when you read the prophecy of um, Jesus Christ in Genesis 3.15 about the, you know, uh, crushing the head of the serpent, you know, Satan was listening to this, I believe, yeah. and he was doing everything he could to stop it. And so he, Abel would have been that seed son, I believe. Mm. Cain killed him. Satan was working with Cain, killed, killed him. Mm-hmm. And then what does it say, though? Another son was raised up, Seth. In his image. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. Seth was the seed son, mm-hmm. which produced the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Right. So mm-hmm. really interesting. And I just, I just think that, you know, God cannot be blamed for this. I, I, I don't oh, believe that. I don't right. believe that. I, I believe that uh, we do have a choice, and we, so, we see this illustrated right after sin in, in yeah. chapter 3, mm-hmm. and then we see the choice. Yes. Chapter 4. And You're I, right. Yeah, totally. We, we are morally responsible. And the question always boils down to, I'm not going to get into it deep, don't worry. The question always <laughs> down to, how do you really explain how we're morally responsible? I think that, like I said, it's a deep mystery. But there are some people who, who, who are doing their best to explain it. But I think you're spot on in terms of just, uh, you know, I think you're all spot on, basically. And yet God is sovereign at the same time. He knew that that was going to take place. Yes. Right? Like Corey was saying before, and he works everything right. according to his plan. And all the Calvinists are going to scream when I say this. The, the order that's listed there, it goes foreknowledge and therefore predestined. Um, and so it's like God knows what we're going to do. And therefore, those are the things that are going to happen. Mm. And, I, you know... Um, it's difficult to, to reconcile it all, but we, we know that we're morally responsible, and that's what's important. God is not culpable for our sins, and that's what's mandatory. And if anyone, I think, it, blurring those lines, that to be like, oh, well, God, you know, could be, could be guilty of sin or something. And to blur the line of that, I think it makes it very dangerous. It's a very slippery slope. So I think, like I said, you have to hate evil. Like the Proverbs say, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to make that as far away from God as possible because the only reason God says hate evil is because he's all good. Mm-hmm. So you, that, that evil can't just be you know, as far it, away. In so many ways, murder is a mockery of God because right. we are, we as humans, we are, we are to respect life. It was not given mm-hmm. by us. It was given to us. Like life is a gift that is given to us, our own life and the lives of others. It is God's domain. We are to respect it. And in so many ways, murder is a mockery of God's gift and of God. But what I love about it is that this time period is so short that we live in. You know, the Proverbs talk about and the Psalms talk about how 
the life of men are like grass and wild mm -hmm. flowers. They pop up really quickly, but they go away just as quickly when the wind blows on them. God will not be mocked. This isn't the end, right? right. We have ways that we deal with murderers now or don't deal with murderers now. We, we live in a time of grace. Mm -hmm. What that means is there's a difference between God knowing and God's action. Yeah. We're coming to the end of the time of grace. We're coming to a time when there's, God's going to judge. Revelation 19 is very clear about it. And, but in this time of grace, we tend to apply when we say, how could God allow this? First of all, in the time of grace, God is seeing who's going to come to him and who's not. Right. Secondly, he doesn't allow it because not in our lifetime, but at the end of our lifetime, when everybody's there, He's going to judge. He's going to judge hard. Mm -hmm. Now, the best way I can say this is from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, Paul says, he's talking to the people in Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, think about that, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Our spiritual act of worship is not to kill. Our spiritual act of worship is to celebrate life. That's the reason I have such positions I do on abortion. That's mm -hmm. the reasons I have such positions I do on life. We are to respect life. We did not give our life. We do not have the right to take it away. That's the way it is. Right. Mm -hmm. That's how I believe. Mm -hmm. right. All right. Well, uh, we are at 4.30. I want to quickly take one more question. We're just going to do five sure. minutes over. We said we were only going to do an can hour. Can we do that? We do five minutes over. I can, <laughs> you probably can't hear it on our mics, but in the background, I can hear our kids who are being babysat <laughs> by Auntie Ivy and Auntie Jasmine starting to yell and scream. It's one of their birthdays, so they're having the best time in the world. But... <laughs> we can't go forever is, right. is what I've essentially tried to say, but I want to take one more question. I'm trying to squeeze in as many as we can. So let's discuss Alicia's question really quickly. She says, a question about the age of accountability. How do we know if someone has reached an age of, account of accountability? Would it go by the developmental capacity of the person? I had a friend who died. So she's, right. she's wondering about this mm. question of the age of accountability. Mm. So um, let's take a few minutes to kind of discuss this. How, is it possible to know when someone has reached the age of accountability or not? Well, first of all, let's just say this. There is no, like, they turn seven, therefore, mm -hmm. right? I don't, there's no age, age. So it's not like it's an actual definite, like, birth date mm -hmm. that someone's defined by. I think a lot of these things come down to um, follow the God with all your heart, soul, strength, and all your mind. And when you break those down to words carefully enough, follow the God with all your heart. What does that mean? And actually, with all you can do. Follow your God with all your soul. All that you are. Follow God all your strength, all that you have, right? Follow God all your mind, all that you could do. So when you break those things down like that, um, what you can do, what are you culpable for? You're, you're morally culpable for things that you can do. You're not morally culpable for things you can't do. Um, and so I don't think someone's morally culpable if they cannot do something. Um, you know, before a certain time, like infants, for instance, they're not morally mm -hmm. culpable for the evil. Now, they, do they, they have the, the, the sin that's come from Adam? Yes. Are, are we all in the same condition? Of course, they're in the same condition. 
but they did not directly, explicitly, consciously do things against anyone. Like, think about Wesley, the kid's the happiest kid I've ever seen in their life. Mm. Anyway, no, I was talking so, about our nine-month-old. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> just just throwing out just names. Throwing you out there. not know. Anyways. <laughs> but, um, so I think that there's a, there's a culpability there, but it's also, like I said, the mind. You the, God calls you to, to love the Lord your God and Mark with all of your mind, um, which is all that you could do. So in other words, the things that you think about that don't necessarily are enacted, you're also held culpable for. So it's like you could do these things, but you don't, right? Or that it's possible. So in other words, um, you're culpable for all the thoughts that don't even come into fruition. And then as you even have that, uh, like all, all of your resources. So once again, it's a multifaceted question in terms of the, into the age of accountability. I'm not sold that, once again, it's because it's a deduction that we've, based on the scripture, it's an interpretation. We think there's an age of accountability. We don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm not yeah. even completely sold on the age of accountability in itself. Yeah, and I think some of that comes from some some people use when Jesus was a boy in the temple, yes. uh, and he was I think he was about 13 or yes. so. Right, right. And, and some people will use that age to say, well, that's the that's the age. Well, right. The problem is, is that I know our friend Jim Catalan. He's told the story many times. He came to a realization about good and evil when he was five. Mm-hmm. Right. And he had a conversion, mm-hmm. and now he he hadn't done you know, major things or anything. He was five. Yes. But yet his Sunday school teacher gave a lesson on, you know, redemption and all that. And he came to know the Lord and the spirit of the Lord came on him. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And he said it was like a warm oil right. flowing over him. Right. He was five. My oldest son, Ollie, he was about seven or eight before he realized. Right. And, and, you know, I was able to take him through, you know, what it means. Right. And he committed himself. So, I think it's hard to really have a hard line. Yes. And I really do believe it's about development when you come to that realization that's different for each person. Right. The, did you want to answer? All I was going to say was, isn't it wonderful that God knows our hearts? God right. knows where we are, uh, no matter what age. And he, I don't believe that he looks at us by age. He looks at our hearts. And we're told in the scriptures, don't judge by the outward appearance mm-hmm. because we don't know. Right. We, that, I, that I think is the bottom line. We don't know. We don't know. We don't have an age. We don't know. Only God does. And I'm so thankful that he does. Right. I'm mm-hmm. so thankful that he decides who is um, able to be with him mm-hmm. um, because of their circumstance. Uh, so mm-hmm. that, that would just be That's my... Really- that's really good. It's really interesting because at 13, our Jewish friends say this is the time when you should have your bar mitzvah, which is, or your beth mitzvah, which, which yeah. if it's a daughter. But uh, this is when they reach the age of accountability and they memorize Psalm 119 and all of that stuff. But it's interesting because in Isaiah chapter 7, 700 years before Christ, verse, beginning with verse 14, he's talking about Emmanuel or God with us. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with the child and will give him birth, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel or God with us. He will be, eat curds and honey, and when he knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right, when he knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right. So, the idea is we don't know yeah. when that is. If we were going to have an age, 
of accountability given. It had been given here. Right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's not. Yeah. So uh, what we do know is what Janice said, God knows our heart. Right. What you said earlier in the program, you're not in charge of salvation. Nobody here is in charge of salvation. Right. Yeah. God is in charge of salvation. Right. That's what we know. Right. And however, if you have a friend who perished in the physical life and you didn't know if they were saved, but you prayed for that friend, you have to trust God. God is the one who is the perfect judge and he's the perfect God. And so knowing that and trusting God yes. is what you have. Because I think that's so important because we can fall into the trap and everyone's guilty of this, of relying on a system that we've made rather than relying on the person of God. Because it can mm -hmm. make us feel better. Exactly. Right? Yes. About, it can comfort. give us assurance. It, it can give us, even yeah. if it's false assurance, it, it can give us. Exactly. That. And that's what actually ends up creating the anxiety to begin with. It's yeah. like relying on the things that aren't God ends up being, it becomes a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. They create the anxiety to begin with, but then you're also relying on them to remove the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a false comfort. But I think it's uh, always so important to rest in the person of God. Personhood. Yes, like it being able to trust, which is having faith, right? Just being able to trust in the character and the nature of God. And and I take great comfort from um, knowing that, and it sounds cliche, but I really, I honestly take great comfort in the fact that I know that God loves and cares for every single human being the same way that I love and desire to care for my physical children mm. because I don't know a bond such as that like I've never I I've never known a bond like that and never and so just the idea that God feels that and and in a more perfect way to mm -hmm. every single one of us than I do I I can take great comfort in that and even I take great comfort also and I know this is kind of a weird area of scripture to go to for this, uh, perhaps, but um, in Matthew 19, when the people bring their children to Jesus, it says, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. So they want this amazing teacher to pray for their children. It says, but the disciples rebuked them. Like, what do they need it for? They're not even the age of accountability. What do these people, what are, they don't need it. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, so he did. He placed his hands on them and prayed mm -hmm. and he went on from there. So I, I it just brings me great comfort, yeah, yeah. those and two concepts together. Can I, I add one more thing? Because I don't know the age of this person who passed away, but... Mm. Um, it says in 1 Corinthians 7 that when Paul is addressing a, a believing wife and an unbelieving husband, and a, and a believing husband and an unbelieving wife, that because the one of the spouses is a believer, the husband and her children are holy. And that word holy there specifically is the same word that we use for saints. They are saints in the eyes of God. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind here. It's like it's like people get also get stuck up on all these other issues with baptism or whatever had to be communion and mm -hmm. all these other systems that we have. And it's like, well, God's saying, because you have been made holy, because God makes you holy, your children, because if you're a ground, you're on holy ground. So now you're holy ground because you're made of the dust of the earth, right? That's mm -hmm. the concept. And now your children who are also ground are holy ground. Mm -hmm. So I think there's great comfort in knowing that as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And, and um, just to reach out a, a little bit, Alicia, 
I totally, thank you so much for this question. I totally understand the anxiety over it. And I just want to offer you, um, I'm so with you with that. And I hope that I, and I'm going to be praying that God gives you comfort over this because God knows and he, he evaluates people based off of where they are. He knows what everyone is, is capable of. And he, I believe he has systems of judgment for each of us that are different, just like we have for our children. Uh, and, and I do believe we see that in the scripture. I believe it's in first Samuel 22, what you quoted earlier, mom, where God says, men, you look on the outside, but God looks on the inside. So his evaluation process is individualized. And, uh, so I hope that that, I hope that that brings you comfort. I'm going to be praying for you this week. Thank you so much for asking that. I think that was a really good question. Does anyone else have anything else that you want to chime in here before? Okay, guys, we're going to sign it. Thank you so much. So, so much for joining with us. This was so fun. Um, I hope you guys had a great time. I'm going to continue going through the comments here and until next week, because we will be back next week, not live. It's going to be back to our regular scheduled weekend shows, but you know, you guys all brought it up. So we'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens in some of our meetings. So until next time, happy reading and happy studying and I'll see you later.